And so the Lord tells David to take his men and go rescue the inhabitants of Keilah and defeat the Philistines. And so David does this. They go, they completely slaughter the Philistines that were attacking this town and liberated the town of Keilah. And what thanks does David get for this? Well, he finds out that the people there are going to tell Saul that David is there now. They're going to give David up. And so David and his men, they leave and they go to the land of the Ziphites. The Ziphites find out that David's there. And so they too betray him. They tell Saul that David is there among them. And so it is during this time when Saul was on his way there to get David around the Ziphites that that David sat down and he wrote Psalm 54. So let's all stand together and read these words that he wrote during that time in his life. He said, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me in your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble. And my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for the word that you give us, Lord, and specifically this particular chapter of Psalms. And Lord, I pray that you would take it and Lord, change us through it. Lord, your word is powerful. Lord, I pray that your word here would point us to the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Lord, by an encounter with you, we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when trying to learn something by reading any passage in the Bible, uh, like I always say, it is important to, to read it in light of the gospel. If we just read Psalm 54 here and tried to apply it the same way that, that David did when he wrote it, then we would be uh, applying it incorrectly. And the reason why is because David wrote this during a time in history that is much different than the times that you and I are living in now. And I don't mean different as in culturally, politically, or anything like that. I'm talking about different in how Jesus affects that time. David wrote this before Jesus came and changed everything. It was the time when the old covenant that God made with Abraham and Moses was still in effect. A time when the curse of sin was still fully in effect and, and mankind related differently to God than we do now. It was a period of time that was waiting on and pointing to the climax of history to be fulfilled. Now that the climax has been fulfilled, you and I live in the after effects of that. And so it is imperative to keep that in mind and, and read Scripture from that perspective. The difference between these two periods of time, before Jesus and after Jesus, or when he came to earth, those differences are so much greater than just two letters after a date, B.C. 
or A.D. And I want to point out some of those differences which relates to what was going on here with David. The Old Testament is full of great stories of God coming through for his people. And in nearly every one of those stories, the good guys always win and the bad guys always die. And you've got the story of Moses where God's people are trapped, the Red Sea in front and the evil Egyptian army in pursuit behind them. There's no way of escape for them, yet God parts the waters His people cross over to dry land. The Egyptians come and try to pursue him. He closes the waters and they drown. The good guys survive. The bad guys drown. David's life was full of events like this where God came through. The most famous one being his fight with the giant, Goliath. The good guy, armed with just a little old slingshot, defeats the evil giant in full battle gear. And even in this situation, in Psalm 54, trying to escape the madness of Saul, David can't go anywhere without constantly being betrayed. There is no safe refuge for him. It seems like his situation is hopeless. But at the end of the day, Saul is eventually killed in battle, and David is elevated to the position of king of Israel. And then you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young men who refused to bow down and worship a false idol. And for their uh, rebellion against the king and their obedience to God, they are thrown into a a hot furnace that is so hot that it burns up the guards that are putting him in there. But the three don't even as much as have their clothes, clothes singed in that fire as a fourth appears with them, which was Jesus himself. Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah in the well, on and on we could go with one Old Testament story after another of how the, 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 the good guys win and the bad guys, they die. But in the New Testament, everything changes and the good guys, they die. It all starts with the main character of the New Testament, who was also the main character of the Old Testament as well. And when he was just an infant baby, people are already trying to kill him. And at 33 years old, late at night, in a garden, he prays a prayer while evil men are on their way to arrest him. He had been praying for quite a while that night. We don't know exactly what all his prayers were. But I bet some of those prayers sounded pretty similar to the one that David prayed here in Psalm 54. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me, and violent men seek my life. They have not set God before them. We don't know for sure if that's what he prayed. What we do know is just one little prayer that is recorded in the Bible. And in that prayer, he doesn't ask the Father for protection or blessing or prosperity. He simply prays, not my will, but yours be done. David prayed his prayer, and God not only delivered him from danger, delivered him from his enemies, he elevated him to the highest position in the land, king of Israel. Jesus prayed his prayer And God delivered him too, but he delivered him over to his enemies. 
The mob arrives, arrests him, beats him, keeps him up all night long, going back and forth with this kangaroo court. The next morning greets him with a brutal scourging. He's led up a hill, nailed to a cross, where he slowly suffocates for six hours before finally dying. Three days later, God raised him from death. And when Jesus stepped out of that grave, everything changed. Everything changed. Spiritual warfare broke out and now rages over the entire planet that you and I are involved in today. We're in a real battle with a real enemy whose only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. A few weeks ago, I talked about how being called to salvation means being called to a war. We are in a real war, and Jesus knew that we would be. That's why he told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. Not if, not you might, not you'll escape it if you do all these things. You will have trouble. But then he said, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. What Jesus was saying was, watch me. Watch me. I'm going to be pummeled. But at the end of the day, I'm going to overcome the world. And I'm inviting you to that same mission. And those who answered his invitation followed him into that same fate. Stephen couldn't keep quiet when he was told to stop talking about Jesus. And so he was crushed to death with rocks, stoned. I talked last week about the opposition that Paul faced and suffered through his entire life after following Jesus, becoming a Christian. Every one of Jesus' disciples, they were either crucified, beaten to death, filleted, speared, stabbed, burned, or boiled in oil. The good guys. And so we see this massive difference between the good guys in the Old Testament and the good guys in the New Testament. And those differences there were just a result of being a product of their times, the time before Jesus and the time after he accomplished his mission. And what that tells us is that if you are leveraging your life for the sake of the gospel, if you are allowing Jesus to be known by the way that you live and the words that you say, there is going to be massive opposition to that. There is, there is no way to escape it. And I don't know how anyone can read the New Testament through me-colored glasses and think that being a Christian means that God just wants to bless me and make my life comfortable and happy and prosperous and on and on and on. No, there is a war going on. Being a Christian means that we are in the middle of it and we are going to face constant opposition. Will God protect you and keep you safe from that opposition? He doesn't guarantee that. He does not guarantee that. What he does guarantee is that when that opposition comes, he's going to be right there with you in the middle of it. 
And that in him, you'll have something that no opposition can ever take away, which is way more important than just your physical, temporary life. When I say that you can't apply Psalm 54 the way that David did, means that you can't really, you can't apply it in terms of a physical enemy. When David spoke of strangers rising up against him and violent men seeking his life, he was referring to the Ziphites and Saul and his men. And God delivered him from them. And yes, we too have an enemy in our lives today, but it is not a physical enemy. Last week I talked about some of that opposition coming in the form of things like the pull to follow the crowd for the sake of acceptance, the enticement of prestige and position, the lie that something other than God satisfies. Some of the most effective weapons our enemy uses are things like the shame and guilt of sins of the past, anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. And so when we read Psalm 54 today, those are the things that we need to apply these truths to, not people. When we read texts like this, our tendency is to think of somebody like maybe that coworker who just keeps trying to make me look bad or someone on Facebook who just keeps talking trash and and raking me through the mud, an ex-spouse who tries to sabotage everything you do, or maybe even a current spouse who seems to be your greatest enemy at the moment. You shouldn't even try to apply Psalm 54 in the geopolitical realm. This is not talking about radical Muslims or Russians or, or even Democrats or Republicans. Either one, it's not talking about that. And so to claim this text with those kind of enemies in mind is just a misapplication of the text. Why do I say that? Because of something that Paul says in Ephesians. You see, everything in the New Testament is telling us how to live now that Jesus has changed everything. This is how we live now in light of what Christ has done. And here's what Paul says about how things have changed in the context of Psalm 54. You're very familiar with the verse, Psalm, I mean Ephesians 6.12, where he says, For our struggle, our battle is not, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces, this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle, our enemy is not in physical places, it's in spiritual. This is the world that we live in post-climax, after the success of the cross and the grave. This is one of the big differences between the time before Jesus came and the time after. And that's why in the New Testament, the good guys always died. The physical aspect of their lives may have been destroyed, but the spiritual aspect was victorious. And that was vastly more important and more valuable than just the physical. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those 
who can only kill the body but can't do anything to your soul. Don't be afraid of them. Your physical body is nothing compared to what Jesus has given you spiritually. And, when, and what you have in him, no enemy can ever take away or destroy. Church, if you belong to Jesus, you have an enemy. And it is not your spouse, your boss, somebody on the other side of the world, or anyone that you can relate to in the physical. This is what I keep reminding my brother of, who many of you know is running for a political office. Things are getting nasty right now, which you can expect in things like this. And I can't endorse a, in a candidate from the pulpit, but I can say the things that are coming out against him right now are blatant lies. It's crazy. I cannot believe the way that people are just able to get away with some of the things that are being done. But I remind him that his political opponent is not his enemy. And to not let these attacks even discourage him. Because as long as he keeps standing in truth, in truth and integrity, that opposition is going to get even stronger. It's going to come. Which, by the way, tomorrow is early voting. I can't tell you who to vote for, but I can tell you to go vote. So go do it. It's the only way we keep them from getting away with stuff. A close friend of mine, Brian Hargett, who discipled me in college after I started following Jesus, he said something to me back then that I'll always remember. He said, whenever you're being attacked, recognize what spirit is behind the attack and come against it with the exact opposite spirit. Why? Because of what 1 John 4, 4 says, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our tendency is to just come against an attack with the very same spirit that is attacking us. If we're being attacked with the spirit of criticism, we're just going to criticize even more. If it's a spirit of anger coming against us, we're just going to ratchet up the anger and come against it with the same thing. You keep doing that, and I promise you will not win. I mean, just think how silly it is. Something that's not of God, not of God is attacking us, and we're going to come against it with something else that is not of God. Kind of silly if you think about it. It's not going to work. It's not going to get you anywhere. Jesus demonstrated how to do this when he came under his greatest attack. When the men came to arrest him in the garden, they came with the spirit of hatred. And Peter tried to fight back with that exact same spirit by drawing his sword and cutting off the ear of one of them. He accomplished absolutely nothing. Jesus went over, picked that ear up off the ground, put it back on the man and miraculously healed him. He came against that hatred with compassion. When he was being nailed to the cross, attacked by the spirit of false accusations and murder, just horrible things, he came against it with, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
Jesus knew that even the very ones who were driving nails through his hands were not his enemy. They were just unwittingly being used by the real enemy. And even in that moment, when it looked like the enemy was winning in the physical, he was being defeated. And because Jesus has defeated the real enemy, we can read Psalm 54 and apply it the way it is supposed to be applied to the times that we are living in today. When we're coming under attack with things like temptation and false accusation and criticism and guilt and shame or anything else that would keep us from living the life that God saved us to, we can stand on verses like 4 and 5. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. And because we live in what Christ has done, we can read that and stand on it with confidence that he has destroyed them with his faithfulness because of what he did at the cross. Look at verse 6. He says, Willingly I sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Under the old covenant, offering sacrifices to God was something that the people had to do in order to remain in good standing with him. David is given a foreshadow of what life is going to be like living under the new covenant when he said, willingly, I will do it. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. Under the old covenant, it was, if you do this, then God's going to do this. But under the new covenant, it is, because God has done this, you now can do this. When you truly understand what Jesus has done, you can't help but want to live for him. You just can't help it. That's what you want to do. And listen to this next statement. Some of you really need to understand this. In fact, it's going to be up on the screen there. And that is this, God never intended for the Christian life to be lived with begrudging obedience. God never intended for the Christian life to be lived with begrudging obedience. He doesn't want that. He takes no pleasure in that because to do that means that you don't understand the gospel. That's living under the law. But when you do understand it, the Christian life becomes a want to instead of a have to. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Those who want to rather than think that they have to. Look at the last verse, verse 7 of Psalm 54. For he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Now David shifts from what God will do to what God has done. And I just love that last line. I mean, that jumped right off the page at me when I read this last week. Because of what God has done, my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Wouldn't you love to look at the things that come against you in this world and just look at it with satisfaction? Just smile at it because you're so confident in who you are in Christ and what he has done for you. 
when your enemy Satan tries to attack you by bringing up sins of the past and trying to pile on guilt and shame in your life or trying to make you believe you are anything less than who you are in Jesus. You can look at those sins not with shame or guilt or anxiety, but with satisfaction. Why? Because Jesus has already taken care of those. He has not only covered your sins, he has removed them as far as the east is from the west. He defeated it. When false accusations come against you, you can look at those accusations not with anger or resentment or thinking you got to do all these things to defend yourself and disprove all these false accusations. No, you can even look at those with satisfaction, knowing who you are in Christ. And the truth will always defend itself. It will. Nothing can stand against truth for very long. When you're faced with temptation and the lie that something other than Jesus satisfies, you can face that temptation and look at it with satisfaction. Knowing that because of what Jesus has done, you can now turn away from that temptation. Temptation no longer controls you anymore. You are under the control of the Holy Spirit. Whatever opposition you face in this world, because of what Christ has done, you now can come against it with the exact opposite spirit, knowing who the real enemy is. Whatever attack is coming against you, you can come against it with the exact opposite spirit, Knowing what Jesus has done for you, who you are in him, and knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That enemy out there is a mouse compared to the lion of Judah that roars inside of you. So let him roar and no longer be intimidated by the little mouse. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you have done, what you accomplished at Calvary. And Lord, that when you did walk out of that grave, everything changed. Lord, I pray that we would all have the perspective and see things in light of what you have done. Lord, we confess that we so often try to fight the wrong enemy. We look at those in the natural, in the flesh as our enemy. When you clearly show us in your word, our enemy is not flesh and blood. But Lord, we have a a spiritual enemy. We are in a spiritual battle. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who would be spiritually minded. And be able to recognize those attacks of the enemy for what they are. Lord, that we are so full of you that we just naturally come against those attacks the exact opposite spirit. Lord, I pray for those in here now who may be having trouble just seeing themselves as you see them in you. Lord, for those that have a hard time just fully being confident in what you have done, God, I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth of that. Lord, that for those who feel like they just keep doing things because they have to with no joy in it at all. 
Lord, I pray that you would give them a revelation of who you are and what you've done that is so strong and so powerful, God. That everything they do from now on is just born from a want to. Lord, I thank you that in you we have something greater than physical life itself. And Lord, I pray that as your people, we will be more about that than we would the things that are just all going to burn up in the end anyway. And so Lord, keep us eternally minded. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.